It's Monday the 20th of April 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Dr. Maur Christiansen once again, the senior physician with the Infectious Diseases Department at Landspitali University Hospital. But first, we begin today with Daniel Svavason, the chief economist at Landsbankin. A man in your position, in your in your line of work, this must be a very worrying time, but also probably a very busy time. Yes, these are very interesting times for economists. Uh, of course, it's a very serious situation uh, medically and, and very worrying. Uh, but this is a, so to say, an unprecedented economic shock. And it's very difficult to kind of uh, grasp the full impact of it yet, because it's still developing, of course. But uh, yes, this is probably the, the most, uh, hopefully the worst economic shock I will uh, experience this uh, in my lifetime. Uh, um, but this is, this is a very, very unique event. I assume you were working in the last economic shock a decade ago. How is this comparing so far? Uh, it's very different uh, in many senses. Uh, this came on very suddenly. Um, we had a very kind of long development with the, the financial and, and currency crisis and the banking crisis in, in 2008 and 2009. I was at the central bank then in a different position. Um, there were different kind of challenges then, um, but uh, now the, the development has been very rapid and it's uh, of course very unique with the kind of the economy just kind of closing down. Uh, and of course now the, the, the government and the central bank is in a totally different position. Now there's much more scope to help the economy. But uh, at the same time, this has happened so fast, we have very little data yet to build on to even kind of realize where we are now. So it's even more difficult to, to kind of project where we will be in a year. Uh, the last crisis hit Iceland proportionately very hard and, and first. Um, this one seems to be all the countries in it together, more or less. Uh, what are some of the pros and cons of that? Uh, and also all, all sectors of the economy as well. Yeah, of course, the, the, the financial crisis in 2008 and nine. there was an international crisis as well. Uh, now... Uh, the, the big difference now is that this is hitting the real economy. Before it was uh, hitting the bank and financial system. So uh, we are seeing a more immediate effect on jobs and consumption. People, uh, even those households who, who are in a position to, to consume, they have still have their income. Uh, basically, uh, they may be under uh, lockdown. They are not allowed to go out and, and consume. So there has been a collapse in consumption in many countries in Europe and in, in, in the US. And of course, we're seeing unprecedented number now in unemployment. And uh, that's a very worrying factor if, 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 if this is more than a temporary uh, setback, if, if, if we're going to see a lot of jobs disappearing for good. Uh, the, 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 that's a, that will be a very worrying uh, development. But uh, there are similarities, but uh, I think this is a much more serious crisis now, uh, even though it might be temporary. 
because uh, how hard it's uh, hitting the world economy and also due to all the uncertainty. We, we don't know how long this outbreak will last, how long it will take to find a vaccine. And I think that's probably one of the preconditions that before we can see the economy, the world economy returning to some kind of normality, it would be some kind of a vaccine. And um, there the scientific community is, is talking about 12 to 18 months, and that's a, it's a pretty long time with a, considering the current situation, if we're going to be in that for 12 to 18 months. Now, we see in Iceland that things are moving slightly. We seem to be getting a grip on the virus at this stage anyway, and some of the restrictions are being lifted on the 4th of May. What implications has that got for the economy immediately? Well, it will, of course, help the, uh, the domestic economy with the t trade and so forth, but I, I don't think we're going to see any uh, let letter for, for the tourism industry until we see similar developments in our uh, uh, abroad, because uh, this is a, an international pandemic, so it's not uh, only necessary that we get the outbreak under control in Iceland. We, we have to see the same developments everywhere uh, before tourists uh, are willing and able to come to Iceland uh, to visit us again. So, um, uh, and so, yeah, this is a very complicated crisis in that sense. That's a really good point about willing and able. Um, just because they start running the flights again doesn't mean people will want to get on them. Is it going to take... And that's probably true in all sectors of the society. People are holed up indoors, sort of hibernating. Are they going to go out again? <laughs> I mean, of course they're going to go out again, but you know what I mean? But it's going to take a certain kick, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we, there are basically two scenarios. Maybe people will kind of realize that they, they don't need to consume as much as they did before. Or maybe we'll see a pepped up demand that people are going to be like, uh, like cows coming out in the spring. They run out and go to theaters, go out and eat. And I'd probably, we are going to see an effect like that. Uh, there is some prepped up demand. But... Uh, Regarding the tourism sector, I think after we, the outbreak is under control and people are going to be reluctant to kind of travel probably as before uh, in the immediate aftermath. But Iceland has a, a relative advantage there, I think, because we are uh, a very a relatively large country with open spaces and, and there's not a lot of crowding here. So, Perhaps uh, many tourists are going to prefer coming to a place like Iceland instead of cramming in big cities where there's a lot of people and, and much more proximity than, than you can allow yourself here. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, the Icelandic tourism sector will be uh, able to pick up faster than in many other uh, places that are dependent on tourism. Depending on also if people want to fly, they might want to drive more and then we'd be <laughs> in less of an enviable position. <laughs> Yes, that was one of the effects we saw after 9-11. That was, of course, also a, a, a huge hit to the tourism sector, very, at least in the, in the months following that. Uh, and we saw the, then that people were reluctant to fly uh, because of safety issue. Uh, 
now the issue is not regarding the flight itself, but perhaps worried uh, people are worried to get infected when they arrive at the place of uh, destination. But after 9-11, oh, we saw a, a hiccup for, a, it took about six to nine months for uh, the effects to run out. Uh, there were some, of course, new precautionary measures put into place, and uh, we're probably going to see stuff like that happen after the corona outbreak. There are probably going to be some checks at the airports and so forth. Uh, but uh, people, they, they went back to traveling, uh, even though uh, uh, there, there was a hiccup at, at, during some time, yeah. Now, obviously, um, the government and the central bank are doing a lot of their things, and Landsbankin and the private banking sector are intimately connected to that. But just as, as Landsbankin, what are you doing? What can you do to help your customers survive this, business customers and, and normal people? Well, uh, Landsbankin, like the, the other banks, we, we are uh, we were put into place measures to, to help our customers uh, extend loans and, and uh, based on case-by-case on, uh, -case needs. So um, I, I'm, I'm not very in, intimately, um, I, I don't know the details of uh, the exact plans of, of, I'm not on the business side, but I think there's a lot of understanding in, in, in the banking sector to, to help the customers get through this uh, difficult period. Mm. Uh, and we've seen uh, the government also coming up with uh, help both for companies and uh, households. Uh, so. Uh, I think uh, th there is quite quite a lot of scope now to to to, to help both households and, and companies if this is a, a temporary event. But of course, if this is going to be a very prolonged crisis or, or economic shock, uh, there there are going to be difficulties both in in the household and uh, corporate sector going forward. Do you see any positive um, positives ahead? Like changes i think the economy is going to change because this is such a big shock as you say what are the what are the outcomes that could be that could be good from this what can positive can we take from it it's, it's difficult to to kind of spot positives at, at the moment because the outlook is kind of bleak at the moment mm -hmm. but uh, Hopefully, we are going to see uh, some positives. People are perhaps going to be more uh, environmentally conscious, perhaps uh, more think more about their consumption. Uh, what do I need to consume? What is uh, uh, yeah? What's kind of like perhaps we're going to see a little less overconsumption, uh, but. Um, but at the time, it, it's, it's very difficult to, to kind of see the positives out of this outbreak. But because we have seen, uh, for example, uh, some negative uh, side effects like uh, a breakdown in international cooperations that I was not expecting would uh, happen. I was expecting in a crisis like this, countries like in the European Union would come together and cooperate. And unfortunately, we have not seen that to the extent that uh, uh, I was hoping for. Uh, we're seeing increased cooperations now, but during the peak of the crisis, uh, it seemed like every country was fighting for themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, 
there would have been nice to see more considerations for the neighbors and, and countries helping each other instead of uh, kind of uh, de defending off for themselves. Mm. Yeah, lessons to be learned. Um, talking of countries, it's a global crisis. Every country seems to be getting into debt. Um, if every country is borrowing massive amounts of money, where does that money come from? It comes from, uh, to a certain extent, uh, from savings, households and, and corporation savings. But uh, to a certain extent, it's, it's, uh, it's money printing. Um, uh, for example, the largest, some of the largest central banks in the world, they, they are both directly and indirectly buying government bonds. So uh, they're basically printing money. So, like you mentioned, there is a lot of debt piling up. So sooner or later, this debt will have to be paid. Uh, but uh, that, that's a problem for a different day. Mm. And I've, I've heard other economists saying this recently, that they want the government, the Icelandic government, to spend massively now and worry about it later. You don't hear that from economists very often, do you? No, and, and I think uh, Iceland is in a unique position, uh, or not unique, but in a, in, a, in a position of strength when it comes to government finances, because the government debt, is, uh, debt level is quite low. The, the, the public sector has been quite active in paying down debt over the last few years. Uh, if we compare that to many other countries, uh, for example, Japan or US, who are heavily indebted and have had uh, uh, budget deficits for, for years, and in some cases decades. Uh, but now, uh, in Iceland, uh, the public finances have been quite responsible for the last uh, decade or so. So there was kind of uh, building up for, for, for a, a rainy day. So now there's a rainy day, and, and now they're in a position to, to spend and, and help the economy. Is it easier, or sorry, different, maybe different rules for a smaller country? It seems like the world is geared towards Japan and the US being in debt, and I don't know, is that fair to say? Yeah, they, they uh, for, for the big economies like uh, the US and Japan, they're in a different position because they, their currencies are so-called reserve currencies, so they can bear higher debt burdens than smaller countries. Iceland has the smallest free-floating currency in the world, so in a time of economic crisis, uh, Small currencies usually take a, a proportionally larger hit than large currencies. So uh, smaller economies need to be um, even more careful when it comes to, to responsible government finances. Just very quickly in the end, um, a year from now, how would you like things to look out? I mean, obviously, we are going to see unemployment. We are going to see an economic contraction. How, how, how good would you like that to be? You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I think in a year from now, uh, I think the tourism sector will be booming because we, we are going so far down now. Uh, there's going to be like a, 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 a huge growth effect going from like a huge contractions to uh, double-digit growth. So I think we're going to have a, a booming economy this time year, next year. I think it's going to take us a couple of years, maybe three years, to get the, the tourism sector up to the same levels as we saw maybe last year. Uh, but uh, compared to this summer, next summer is going to be uh, uh, very good for the tourism sector because, uh, but uh, of course, that comparison is 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 not great because the uh, 
current uh, conditions in the tourism sector are, is awful, but so basically any growth next year is, is going to be uh, huge compared to what we're seeing now. Thank you. Mal Christiansen, thank you for uh, joining me today. It seems like it's been uh, quite a good week for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, little by little. I think uh, the number of cases are coming down and um, we're seeing um, fewer cases than we are discharging. So, um, and that's usually what happens when you sort of get into the epidemic and it starts to taper off. So I think we're, we're tapering off. <laughs> And it now looks like the peak was at the end of March rather than the first week of, week of April, is that right? Yeah, that, that's what it seems, that's what the number seems to indicate, that we had the, uh, the greatest number of cases uh, towards the end of March. And, uh, but we were seeing, uh, at that time, we were seeing a surge in the number of cases coming to the hospital. And we were really concerned, obviously at that time, uh, about our capabilities in terms of... Uh, you know, the intensive care unit beds and, and number of uh, respirators and such. So, so but luckily it's, it's, been, it's been contained as it seems. Um, what does this, does this mean anything for the, for the modeling? Is it bringing things forward by about a week, does that change anything for you? Um, not, I mean, it, it creates another uh, difficult task, which is uh, to, um, uh, to to weave together um, uh, the needs of the society from one point of view is the the needs of the COVID patients and then we have um, a, a, a slew of other medical problems that need to be attended to and they have been um, stalled if you will um, to a degree but there's, uh, there's only so much that you can stall it or, or so, so long time that you can stall it for. So that um, now we are, um, now that we're having more cases that are um, non-COVID um, coming to the hospital, um, that puts some challenge to us because obviously people are coming with fevers and, and other symptoms that could to some, in some part uh, be indicative of uh, of COVID disease, um, and the, then so, so that you have to you have to be able to uh, accommodate this new sort of uh, uh, setup, um, and, and being that you have COVID disease, uh, albeit at a smaller scale, but but you still have more and more of these other uh, illnesses coming. So you have to be able to decipher what is what. And that puts some strain on our capabilities in terms of house, uh, I mean, the organization of our, um, of our buildings. Mm. So, for example, if, if, uh, if somebody comes to the emergency room, we have to have a place there where we can um, safely isolate somebody. But at the same time, we need to be able to um, um, uh, take care of uh, other, other businesses. So, so this is quite the challenge <clears throat> and uh, I think uh, now in the coming weeks we're going to be seeing cases that are were, wasn't thought of as being possibly COVID but then it turns out that they were indeed COVID and uh, 
So, so that puts a lot of strain on the on the hospital services, and I, and I'm sure it, it it puts strain on all, all the healthcare system. Um, we've got a slight relaxation of the assembly ban coming up on the fourth of May, mm. um, and part of that is allowing uh, for surgical procedures to go ahead again that have been cancelled. So you must have quite a backlog. Well, obviously there is a backlog, um, but that, that goes without saying. But, but uh, uh, it hasn't been decided on, um, to my knowledge, uh, to lift the ban on elective surgeries. Uh, there is a uh, stipulation in, in, in action from the Ministry of Health uh, stating that uh, we should cancel all um, elective surgical procedures and invasive procedures uh, until May 31st. What is an elective procedure? Is that, that I mean, obviously that's things like cosmetic surgery, but a lot more than that, is it? Yeah, uh, there, um, elective surgery is something that actually is uh, imminent. It needs to be done, but it's not emergent. So, uh, so and obviously this is a matter of... Um, definition obviously and uh, th there's a gray zone there but um, you know I mean you can postpone um, a gallbladder removal for example but you you can only do it for so, 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 so and so long time mm. so you need to do it at some point and then be before it becomes a, a, a further medical problem so so these are the kinds of things we're dealing with I mean um, so so I mean obviously cancer surgery is always acute surgery and that needs to be dealt with uh, when when that situation arises but um, um, so, so, so we have a challenge here <laughs> but, but it, it's also a point of uh, uh, utilization of all the healthcare force because uh, I mean many of the surgeons that are doing a immensely important job in their daily life have now been put on hold and, and we need to be able to, to mobilize this force uh, in the greater good for the society. So, so that's, that's quite the challenge. But at the same time, if you, if you allow more uh, surgical activity on an elective basis, that is prone to create some acute problems uh, in the form of uh, post-operative complications. So you have to thread a, a very fine line here um, so that we don't uh, um, overwhelm our system and our capabilities. So I suppose it's all about keeping below that, that level of tolerance of, of when things can be dealt with yeah. relatively easily and when it gets too much. And, and, and you were saying that the health minister has, has come in on that. Right, so, so, so the, the, the Surgeon General has um, given, the, uh, given a hint to the, the, the minister and, and he is the one who, who, who creates these uh, stipulations. Or, or regulations, and uh, th that regulation has to be lifted if, if we were to start uh, these, these elective surgeries before May 31st. And we have actually, um, we have uh, sort of hinted at that to the Surgeon General to, 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 um, to try to have the, the Minister um, uh, shorten that period. Um, with regard to the 4th of May re restrictions being lifted to a certain degree, um, are you worried about this, uh, the potential for a second wave of, of, of virus? Well, yeah, I mean, th this is obviously something that's lurking in the back of our minds, uh, because uh, as, as long as there are cases out in the society, by lifting the assembly ban um, to, to a degree, that 
means that people are interacting more and if there are um, you know these odd cases here and there in the society that is a, um, a, a there's a possibility that you would have these uh, group infections or mini epidemics and and th this is like um, given the situation of the, the society as a whole um, this is like uh, getting a spark into a, 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 a can of powder uh, or um, you know, um, so you can have a big flame there. So, so, so and, and we've seen cases of that in, in some of our smaller communities, like in uh, Bolungavik, for example, and in the Westman Isles. So, so that's, that's, it is worrying to, to a degree. So, so that, but we'll, we'll have to continue with uh, these um, um, restrictions of people coming into close contact uh, for some time to come. Do you think that the lessons we're learning now in Bolungavik and the Westman Islands will help us later on if, if cases come up again in clusters elsewhere in the country? Yeah, I, I think so, uh, to a degree. Uh, I mean, we know what to do if there is a, a, a focal um, spread of infection. We need to sort of uh, freeze that environment and uh, take very strict, restrictive and, and hard, harsh measures um, to contain it. So, so, and that's sort of a, a classical way we, we, we use in infection control. But uh, every, every, um, every incident is a learning incident. So, so we'll take some points from that, obviously. Are there any um, advancements being made on treatment? Because I know we've spoken about treatment uh, in, in previous weeks. Has anything come up in the last couple of weeks? Well, um, not to my knowledge. I mean, uh, th there's a wealth of knowledge being made uh, through uh, investigations and, and obviously just observation of the, the progress of the disease. Uh, it seems to be a very complicated disease in terms of... Uh, uh, different mediators mediating this um, pneumonia and it's a special type of pneumonia and uh, there's a wealth of uh, uh, data coming out and speculations obviously so uh, it, it seems that uh, uh, that we're um, we need to do a better containment of the the type of inflammation that's going on in the in the lung and uh, th there are some new things coming out there uh, I don't know how they're going to pan out as a as a med as, as a treatment options, um, but um, in, in terms of the virology, uh, studies are still ongoing in terms of the the, the um, uh, hydro hydroxychloroquine um, and the, uh, the, the the viral medications favipiravir and and uh, remdesivir, and uh, we're anxiously waiting for the results of these studies to see if they are indeed. Um, helpful in, in mitigating this disease. Um, we saw um, famously the heart-shaped flyover yesterday from the Iceland airplane coming in from Shanghai with uh, I think the third such flight now or maybe fourth um, with medical equipment. What sort of equipment is on that plane and now that the uh, now that the outbreak is on the way down are we going to see more of these flights? Well, I'm 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 not aware of any more flights uh, that are scheduled, uh, but but uh, concerning the the contents of these, uh, uh, I I don't know that for a, for a fact, uh, but but I'm told that this is mostly uh, medical equipment in terms of uh, um, protective gear, 
and uh, there are still some uh, respirators coming uh, and and other such things uh, in uh, things that we use for the uh, um, for the detection and and, and running the, the machinery so th those those types of things but mostly it's that uh, we are now looking for a, a, a better stockpiles of, of medical equipment that we that we need to have uh, on board uh, for the uh, for the next few weeks and months to come. So it's planning. This isn't this isn't emergency response. This is planning for the future. Yeah, I I, th I, I believe it's more that we're sort of taking care of our stockpiles um, to to in, in preparation for this long haul. But you have to understand that uh, during this time, what's happening in the world? I mean, there's a there's a, there's almost a run on all medical equipment around the globe, so uh, it's it's immensely important that we have um, enough here so that we can take care of our people, uh, because this is a long haul, and uh, um, so I, I, I believe it's going to be uh, quite some time until all the production lines around the globe are going to be uh, coping with with what's been going on. Sure, yeah. Um, just quickly as we finish, um, there's been a, a large increase in the number of ventilators or um, 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 respirators in the hospital, luckily, some of them given as gifts. Yeah. Um, what happens now? If they're not being used, hopefully they're not going to be all used, um, do they just go into a storage room and are they hard to keep maintained and in good working order? Well, I, I, I think uh, if, if we look at the, our history, is that uh, we, we've had, uh, we haven't had uh, a renewal of our medical equipment for quite some time. And uh, we were uh, scheduled to, have, uh, um, to replenish our old ones with the new ones. So this comes as a very good uh, additional input to that. Now, um, and, and I mean, the, these, these kinds of equipments are in use, in daily use, and they, you know, they need um, uh, maintenance and all kinds. So, so, so this gives us a, a better leeway in terms of what we have uh, for the future. And uh, I, I'm sure, given the, the, the state of the economy for, um, for many countries for, for years to come, uh, this is going to be a, a, a good reserve for us uh, in, in the long term. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Well, there we go. That's it for today. Uh, my thanks to my guests, Daniel Svavason and to Dr. Maur Christiansson. The Week in Iceland will return to roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, to the Roof app, and to your favourite podcast provider next Monday, the 27th of April. For now, we finish the show with Ausger Trösti singing Pringsor. Bye for now. Yeah.
lifir allt sem ég er fallið í skoðið. Er ég manna heim en pláss fyrir engla sem að hringsóla á eilífarbraut. Sola, we live our bread. So.